Well, hi, everybody. How are we? We good? It is good to see you. Glad that you are here. Hi to those of you watching online as well. If we have not met, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very excited to be able to get into God's Word with you this weekend as we are continuing our Building God's Way teaching series through the book of Nehemiah. It's been such an incredible series so far, led by Pastor Lance and Pastor Judah, and like I said, very excited to get into what we have this weekend. And I just, just right out of the gate, here, here's the point of the message, here's what we're talking about this weekend. It's, it's this, if we are going to build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. If we're going to build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be hearing me say that and going, wait, 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 Brian, 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 Brian. Have you seen the world right now? (laughs) There's kind of a lot going on that would give us reason not to celebrate. In fact, you could even say, okay, okay, with everything happening in in the world right now, saying that we need to celebrate or saying that we need to be joyful, that that can sound at worst or at best tone deaf, at worst downright ignorant and offensive. But I don't believe that's true at all. In In the eyes of God, joy and celebration are not frivolous. And celebration does not ask us to ignore the hurt in the world. To to the contrary, if you and I, if we are going to be people who stay engaged in God's mission in the long term, for the long term, we need to be men and women who know how to celebrate. We need to be men and women who know how to have joy. We need to rejoice. We need to laugh. We we just, come on, come on, come on. We, We just need to not be so serious all the time, right? If we're going to stay walking with Jesus for a lifetime. And I think it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget that celebration is a critical part of our faith tradition. In fact, if you look back in the Old Testament, there are numerous references to feasts and festivals and celebrations that were commanded by God. It is clear, reading the Old Testament, that it is very, very important to God that his people have lots of parties. Very, very important to God that his people have lots of parties. From the beginning, God designed us to be people, don't, don't miss this, God designed us to be people who regularly lift our heads from the day to day. Who, who regularly lift our heads from all that would cause us to not celebrate. And celebrate. And have joy. And God, I don't want to just show you briefly, God built these things into Israel's communal life. Just to give you a few examples, there there was the weekly celebration of the Sabbath where from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown, all work would cease and it would be a time simply of worship and and reflection and a time to, to relax and remember who God is. And I'll just tell you this as a, as a side note, I think it's really interesting to me what I'm hearing a lot of in in a lot of just parts of the Christian world today and the kind of the voices that I pay attention to, is here we are in this busy, busy, go, go, go world that even in the midst of everything, you know, shut down and this and that, we've all still found ways to be too busy and overworked and overstressed. It's so interesting to me, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about this ancient discipline of Sabbath keeping and recognizing the value of having that 24-hour period of time where we just say, you know what, I'm not going to work, I'm going to rest. It's almost like God was on to something. Right? But a weekly celebration built into Israel's life. And then 
There was the feast of the new moon where at the start of every month there'd be a day where they would abstain from work. They would make offerings and there would be music involved. Numbers chapter 10 says they would blow a loud trumpet in celebration of God's faithfulness. And then there were annual feasts like the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. You might know it as the Passover, which was an annual festival that lasted, by the way, for seven days. When was the last time you went to a seven-day-long party? And it was a time for them to celebrate and remember God's faithfulness to them and rescuing them from Egypt and, and protecting them when the plagues were going through Egypt. And then 50 days after that, there's the Feast of the Weeks, also known as Pentecost, a one-day feast during which, according to Leviticus 23, the first fruits of the harvest were presented to God. You might know of Pentecost because in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, that's when the earliest believers first received the Holy Spirit. Uh, then there's another feast called the Feast of the Booths or the Tabernacle that would take place in what would roughly be early October by our calendar. And this was a time when Israel, this one's, this one's a little bit weird if you ask me, but they would live in these temporary kind of primitive shelters for a week, but the, the symbolism was really beautiful, that they would do this to remember God's faithfulness to them to provide for their needs when they were wandering in the wilderness and had no home of their own. And if you look even in John chapter 7, there's a reference to Jesus celebrating this festival. Uh, and then my favorite Old Testament celebration is found in Leviticus chapter 15, and that is the festival of Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And there was all sorts of stuff that would happen on Yom Kippur. It was one of the biggest feast days, biggest celebration in the Jewish calendar. And we don't have time to get into everything that would happen on Yom Kippur. But one thing that would happen that I just think is so powerful, and I just love this imagery, is as part of the Yom Kippur celebration, the people would come together and there would be a goat involved, because why not? And what the people would do is they would place their hands on the goat and they would confess their sin over the goat. And then when they had finished confessing their sin, this goat now symbolizes the sin of the people of Israel. And then what would happen is somebody would take the goat and lead the goat way out into the wilderness. Because when a goat represents the sin of you and your entire community, you don't want that thing just wandering back into town, right? They take the goat far away, and then as soon as the goat left, what would they do? They'd have a big party. Hallelujah, God has forgiven our sins. Our sins are gone. And I just love that. And listen, I'm, we don't need to be bringing goats up in here, okay? But I love that idea of such celebration. It's a reality of the forgiveness of those sins. We don't need goats. We have Jesus who forgives our sins and continues to forgive our sins. But I think so often we sort of forget the joy of this reality of, oh my gosh, God has removed our sins from us. I love the joy in the Yom Kippur celebration and it's such a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus who, who, sat, who is the, 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 the permanent and eternal sacrifice for us. And that doesn't even include other ordinary celebrations and observances. It, was, it, it seems like every month, in addition to your Sabbaths and your new moon, every month there was some sort of festival for Israel to celebrate. My point is simply this. God built celebration over and over again into Israel's normal rhythm of life. God loves a good party, and he wanted to make sure his people had plenty of them. In fact, if you're using the app or you're taking notes, here's, here's your fill in the blank. It's, it's simply this, don't forget to celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate. It is not hard to find reasons not 
to celebrate. But, but I suspect, hear me on this, I suspect that God built celebration into Israel's communal life because he knew, even back then, just as today, it's easy to get stuck in the day-to-day. -day. It's easy to find reason not to celebrate. It's easy to get so focused on what we're doing in the moment that we neglect lifting up our heads and celebrating God's goodness. And he knows, listen, he knows if we're gonna stay with him for the long haul. He knows if we're gonna be healthy for the long haul. He knows if we're gonna grow spiritually for the long haul. We have to have times of celebration. It was true in Old Testament times. It's true today. I know it's been a hard year, but don't forget to celebrate. Yes, th there are serious things in the world, but don't forget to celebrate. If, if we're going to build God's way we need to celebrate along the way. Now, I wanna turn your attention to the book of Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible or a Bible-equipped mobile device, I wanna invite you to open to Nehemiah chapter 11. And what we're gonna see in this text is the people of Israel taking time to celebrate. So much of the book of Nehemiah centers around Nehemiah's effort to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And if, if you haven't been here or you've missed a few weeks or you just need a little catch up here where we are in the story, again, the book of Nehemiah is all about Nehemiah's effort to rebuild this wall. And now the wall has been built. God's word has been read. The people have committed themselves to be faithful to their covenant relationship with God. And then chapter 10 ends with a communal commitment to say, hey, we are not gonna neglect God's house. So, so here's what I wanna do for, for the remainder of our time together. Is I wanna walk through this passage and I wanna see what's going on in the text. And then we're gonna spend some time talking about the serious benefits of joy and celebration. Because if we're gonna build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. So here we go, Nehemiah chapter 11, verse one. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Here's what's going on. The wall has been built, it's been restored, and now everyone needs to decide, okay, who's gonna actually live in the city, and then who is going to live outside the city where things like agricultural work, farming, that sort of thing got done. So they're determining who's gonna live where. And then if you look at the rest of the chapter, it is a very detailed list of who ended up living where. There are a lot of names on this list, and they are very difficult to pronounce. And I am not going to attempt to pronounce them for you because I'm pretty sure you did not come to church or log on today to hear me read the Jewish phone book. That's just not gonna, that's just not gonna be good for anybody, right? But it's a very detailed list of priests and Levites and gatekeepers and other officials and where they ended up. And then in, starting in verse 25, it talks about the villages where different tribes settled outside the city. And then if you look over to chapter 12, there are still more names that are difficult to pronounce and names that I will not be reading to you. You're welcome. But there's actually something beautiful that these names represent. So I'll read a few names just to help you see this. It says at the start of chapter 12, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. Zerubbabel 
returned to Jerusalem in about 538 BC. The city had been conquered, everybody had been taken into captivity for years and years, and now 538 BC, Zerubbabel was allowed to come back. And at the time this was written, most scholars believe it's about 445 BC. So a period of about 100 years has passed. And what this list represents is all of the priests and all of the Levites, who are essentially assistants to the priests, who had continued to do their job, who had continued to serve God in the midst of an absolutely crazy time as this civilization is trying to reestablish itself, as people are returning from exile, as this wall is being built, as there would have been any number of reasons to sort of give up on, on doing what God had asked to be done in the temple, and yet they continued to do it. It's a beautiful testament to their faithfulness and God's faithfulness in their midst. But I'm still not reading the names. Then we get to verse 27, and it's time to dedicate the wall. This is a celebration of all that God has done in allowing the wall to be built. And it's also a celebration of, of relief. Because remember, a wall around a city in the ancient world, it was not just decoration. This served a very practical purpose to protect the city from other civilizations trying to invade. It was also a celebration that they had come together and accomplished this great work. And it was a celebration of God's faithfulness in their midst. So verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem... They sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, with harps, and lyres. What do we know so far? There's going to be a party and there will be music. That's what's going on, okay? Very similar to Ezra and Nehemiah, our two books of the Bible that kind of work together. And in Ezra chapter three, as they start to rebuild the temple, very similar kind of scene to, to what we see in Nehemiah chapter 12 right here. This, like all Jewish feasts and festivals, was a time of joy and celebration. Let's keep reading. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, from the village of the Netophathites and lots of other places that I will not pronounce because I'll butcher them just like I butchered that one. Verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates of the wall. What's going on here? These singers had settled in villages all in the region, all around Jerusalem, but this was such a big deal that they all gathered together. Verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Why did they call it that? We do not need to discuss that. Moving on. And after them went Hosiah and half the leaders in Judah and lots of other people and certain priests, sons with trumpets. So what's going on here? We've got singers, we've got trumpets, we've got musical instruments, now we're cooking, right? And then verse 36 says they had the musical instruments of David and Ezra and there were scribes that went before him. It goes on to say that this other choir went the other direction. So what's happening is you've got these two massive choirs surrounding the city in songs of celebration and praise. It's an amazing scene. And then in verse 40, it says this. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me. Verse 43. 
is the best verse of the whole two chapters right here, in my opinion. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Man, what a day. (laughs) And I love that some version of the word joy or rejoice, five times there in that last verse, that they rejoiced with great rejoicing. And then that joy was heard from far away. There was music, there was singing, and it was loud as they celebrated God's goodness in their midst. If we're gonna build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. This is such an incredible example of the people of Israel with Nehemiah right there, celebrating God's goodness, rejoicing with great rejoicing as what what God had done. Now, I said I wanted to talk through the passage and then I wanna talk about the serious benefits of joy and celebration because I'm reasonably confident that most all of us in this room and watching online, like we all agree, I think, that joy is a good thing. I don't know anybody who's anti-joy. Like of all the things we as humans complain about in the world, I've yet to meet the person who's like, you know what the problem is? There's too much stinking joy going on. This needs to stop, right? Or all the things I've had people come to talk to me about, I've never had someone say, Pastor, you gotta help me. The, The joy in my life is simply overwhelming. I have too much cause for celebration. I don't know what to do, right? We all, we, all, we all agree joy is a good thing. I don't know that we all agree that joy is a necessary thing. And that is what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about the serious benefits of joy because I want us to see that joy is not simply a good thing, it is a necessary thing. And I wanna to return to something I said at the beginning. If we look at the world around us, we could say, come on, doesn't talking about celebration feel a little tone deaf? And I admit it, it can absolutely sound that way, but it doesn't have to be. Once again, God built celebration into Israel's life. And listen, he he built this into their life in the midst of what kind of things were they going through? They were going through death and disease and destruction and uncertainty and challenges from the outside and fighting amongst themselves. In the midst of all of this craziness in the world they were living in, God said, you're gonna stop and you're gonna celebrate. You need to do it. And I believe that message still holds true today. If anything, if anything, man, I just want you to consider this. Maybe instead of letting difficult circumstances be a reason to abandon joy and celebration, maybe they can be a reminder for all of us of the necessity of pressing into them all the more. Pressing into them all the more. So I have three serious benefits of joy and celebration that I want to give you. And I just need to warn you, whenever I have a list of three things, I always spend the most time on the first one. I don't know why, it's just what I do. So please do not panic when this first one seems to go on for a little too long, but it's worth it. The first point is this, it's actually the title of the sermon. And it came from a video clip my friend and colleague Heather Johnson shared with me. And It is a video of uh, the guy who's speaking is a guy by the name of Gary Haugen. Now, you might have heard of Gary because he founded and runs an amazing organization called the International Justice Mission. And the International Justice Mission works all over the world to free people from human trafficking, from slavery, from all sorts of different types types of oppression. God is using Gary and the International Justice Mission to do just amazing things all over the world. But I've heard him speak a bunch of times. I've read a 
couple of his books and the descriptions of the types of things that he has seen in his life are just absolutely devastating. So if there was ever a person that I would say could have a free pass to say, you know what, there is too much serious work to be done in the world. There's just too much hurt. There's too much pain. We cannot be wasting time on joy and celebration. There is simply too much to do. If there was ever anybody who I'd say, yeah, okay, they could maybe have a pass to say that. I, I get it. It would be him. But in this clip, he says almost the exact opposite. He's speaking at an event in the Bay Area a couple of years ago. And he said that we have this misconception when it comes to engaging suffering and injustice in the world, in the church. He says that we, we have this sort of martyr complex where what we think would make Jesus really happy is if all we ever did was work, 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 if all we ever did was just try to serve and try to serve and try to serve and we never had any fun or if we did have fun, at least we felt guilty about it and we just made ourselves miserable in Jesus' name that this is somehow what would make Jesus happy. <laughs> and that, of course, is not true. Gary says, Jesus actually wants us to enjoy our lives because while there is absolutely darkness as, as darkness and injustice in the world, God has made a good and beautiful world. And there's evidence of that goodness all around us. And then he said this. I love this line. He said, joy is the oxygen to do hard things. Joy is the oxygen to do hard things. And he said, listen, if we are going to be people who stay engaged in God's work in the world for the long term, pardon the cliche, but life is a marathon, not a sprint. If we are going to stay engaged in God's work for the long term, he said that in order to do that, we need to develop, he called it the spiritual discipline of coming up for air for joy. We need to come up for air for joy. That's one of the serious benefits of joy. It is the oxygen to do hard things. And I love that he framed it as a, as a spiritual discipline. And, and listen, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at people who I know personally who are doing great things, who are serving God, who are doing interesting and creative things in the world, who are investing in their families, who, are, who just seem to have just like deep meaning and purpose in their lives. As I look at, look at them, and I'm always trying to learn, like, okay, what do these people have in common and what can I learn from them? I'll tell you this much. It's not the cynical people. If joy is the oxygen to do hard things, I think cynicism might be the carbon monoxide, yeah. right? Amen. And it's not the angry people. And you might say, well, Brian, there's a lot, that, a lot of stuff that's messed up in the world. Yes, that is true. There's plenty in the world to be angry about. But come on, if I can just press on that real quick. I think for some of us, if we're being brutally honest, it's not about the issues anymore. We're just addicted to anger. And whenever what we're angry about now passes, we will find something else. It's not the angry people that are doing amazing things. It's not the rigid people. It's not the fearful and the bitter people. It's not people who define themselves by what they're against instead of what they're for. When I look at people who are doing amazing things in the world, and listen, I'm not talking about famous people. I'm talking about friends and neighbors and colleagues. Who are the people that are doing great things? It's people that have this deep undercurrent of joy in their lives, that, that understand the necessity of joy. Why does God call us to celebrate and be joyful people because it is the oxygen to do hard things. 
It is the oxygen to do hard things. And that joy is available to you through Christ. And listen to me, listen to me. That does not just apply to people like Gary Haugen who are super famous and who write books and who, who travel the world doing these incredible rescue missions, right? Hard looks different for different ones of us. For, for you, your hard thing might be continuing to show up to work and trying to do your job to the glory of God. Your hard thing might be continuing to invest in your marriage and staying relationally connected with your spouse or, or continuing to invest in your children. Your, your hard thing might be pushing through midterms or finals. Your, your hard thing might be navigating a life transition or a financial challenge. Your hard thing might be walking through a season of intense grief. Hard things look different from person to person, but joy is the oxygen for all of it. Joy is the oxygen for all of it. If we're gonna build God's way, we have got to celebrate along the way. And even, I love this, if you've got Nehemiah open, you can turn back a couple of pages to Nehemiah chapter eight. I love what it says after the, the reading of God's word. Ezra says this. It says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. There is strength that comes from God's joy and it's the oxygen to do hard things. About a week and a half ago, I had to drive down to central California for something and I didn't need to be where I needed to be until the later part of the afternoon. And where I had to be was somewhat close, close enough to Yosemite National Park, which is one of my favorite places in the whole world. So I decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wake up early, I'm gonna drive down to Yosemite, and I am gonna climb Yosemite Falls before I go do my thing I have to do. So I got up, I left, I was out of my driveway by before 6 a.m., I drove down to Yosemite, I'm on the trail at, by, by 10 a.m., and I was so happy to be there. And, and something you gotta understand about me is, first of all, I just love being outside. I mean, time on the trail, time outdoors, that is just medicine for my soul, and I connect with God very significantly when I'm out there. And I'll just be real with you, just in my world, my season of life, I spend a lot of time waiting. I spend a lot of time slowing down, right? So I'm getting to Yosemite, I'm thinking, okay, through winter and COVID and everything else, I've spent way too much time indoors. I am here at one of my favorite places in the world and we're gonna go do this thing. And if you're unfamiliar with the, with the climb to Upper Yosemite Falls, it is not a very long hike. It's only about three and a half miles up and then of course three and a half back down. But it is a beast. It is 2,700 feet of climbing, it is uphill. All right, so, but I'm excited to do this hike and I start going and I am huffing. I am like walking, I'm charging up this thing and I just, I'm kind of a fast walker anyway. And again, I'm like, nobody to wait for. I'm just out here with me, I'm going. And I'm going up the, the trail and I'm huffing and puffing and doing my thing. And about a mile into the hike, there is this beautiful overlook right at kind of the edge of a switchback where you can look out and you have this just incredible view of Half Dome, one of the most iconic monuments or landmarks, I should say, in the entire park. And there's this beautiful view of the valley. And I just wanna show you, this is how I walked by that overlook during my hike. It was like this. And immediately back up the other way, I was like, oh, that's nice, and I just kept going. 
But I got like six or seven steps past the overlook and I, and I sort of had one of those like little internal conversations, right? Where I'm like, wait a second. It's like, Brian, you know the point of this is to enjoy it, right? <laughs> the point isn't just to get to the top. Like, you're here voluntarily and you say you like this. Like, why not enjoy the view? So I stopped and I walked back and I took a breath and I enjoyed the view. I even took a picture, sent it to my wife. Look how beautiful this is, right? And then when I kept going, I had a little extra spring in my step. Now, part of it was just because I had rested. <laughs> but part of it was just the beauty of that moment of all I hear is the sound of my own breath and all I see is God's creation in front of me in one of my favorite places in the world. Just that moment of just quiet reflection and enjoyment motivated me to keep going, motivated me to get to the next one, motivated me to continue to do the work, right? And see, I think that some of us, we live our lives as if the point is just to get to the end. That the point is just to work, 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 work. When God's going, listen, I've made a good and beautiful world and it's okay for you to enjoy it. The, the point isn't just to get to the top. The point is to enjoy God and his goodness along the way. Yes, there is work to do, but again, God built partying and celebration into the rhythms of Israel's community life. And some of us, listen, let's just be real honest. Some of us, we are really good at spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer. And don't get me wrong, those spiritual disciplines are incredibly important. But we're not great at the spiritual discipline of smiling. <laughs> or we're really good at the spiritual discipline of service. We have a heart to serve others, and that's fantastic. Like, God bless you. Keep doing that for God's glory. But we could probably benefit from growing a little bit in the spiritual discipline of celebration. Because what we miss is that it's joy and celebration that provide the oxygen for hard things. Just, you take a minute to enjoy the view, you're ready to keep going, right? See, this works, I mean, even in like team or staff or those types of environments. A team that knows how to party will be better equipped to serve. I really believe that. A team that knows how to laugh together and have a good time will stick together when it's time to get to work and things get hard. So, so number one, joy is the oxygen to do hard things. And I just... Whatever's going on in your life, I, I hope and I pray that you leave here with a deeper desire to look for opportunities to celebrate and express joy in your life and not see those as sort of frivolous extras, but, but see them as beautiful gifts from God. And number two, joy sustains us in hard times. Joy sustains us in hard times. I alluded to this earlier. It's, it's tempting to say, come on now, we, we can't have joy. There's too many hard things in the world. And listen, if you're in a place where what you're walking through, you're just going, I, what I'm walking through right now, it, it is tragic, it's traumatic. What I'm going through, it's just too much. I'm having a really hard time having joy in this moment. The last thing I want you to do is leave here going, well, I came to church sad and I left sad, but also feeling guilty about it, right? Like, no, that is not the point. We spend the whole month of January talking about lament. There is a time and a place for that. But I also believe that it is in moments of sorrow when we need joy the most. We need to be reminded the words of Psalm 35 and 6, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. 
as we're in that night of sorrow, joy reminds us that morning will come. I think about the words of Paul writing in prison, those famous words in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. I, I think about one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Psalm 16, 10, I quote it all the time where the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It's not in your presence when everything in my life is perfect. In your presence, that there is fullness of joy. I was reading this book this week and the author put it this way. He said, joy lives in the shadow of the cross. That joy is not some Pollyanna pie in the sky thing, but, but joy lives in the shadow of the cross. Or, or one other thing this author said is, is, I love this way of putting it. He says that what joy does is joy keeps pain moving. See, so many of us, we, we live in this world where we try to make everything like it's either this or that. Like, do we have joy or are we in pain? Yes. Here's what joy does. Joy does not deny our pain. Joy does not trivialize our pain. Joy, joy does not try to make pain out to be any less difficult than it is. What joy does, this author put it so beautifully, is that joy causes us to not get stuck in our pain. What joy does is it keeps pain moving. So there is a time for grief. There is a time for sadness. And some of that might even linger. But what joy does is, again, it, it keeps pain moving. That undercurrent of joy allows us to not be trapped in our pain. See, joy is not only the oxygen for hard things, it's our sustenance in hard times. And if we believe that joy is only possible when everything is perfect, well, there is a place called heaven where we will have that joy, but we will not be able to have it in this life. And I don't believe that's what God wants for us. Because even God, God's word says, famous passage in Galatians chapter five, that joy is a fruit of God's spirit. That joy is a fruit when God's spirit is active in our lives, that there is joy. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he came that we would have life and we would have it abundantly. And more than that, we as Christians, we have the greatest source of joy in the world and that is the gospel, right? We have this truth, this reality that, that Jesus, God's son, has come to rescue us from our sin, that he came and he, he lived on this earth, that he showed us this thing called the kingdom of God, that, that he lived a perfect life and that at the end of his life, he went to the cross and he, he died in our place and for our sin and that he rose from death and ascended into, into heaven and one day will return for us. We, we, we don't need a goat, we have Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. Our relationship with God has been restored. We have eternal hope. It is the greatest source of joy there could ever be. But if I can extend out the fruit metaphor a bit further, I'm not much of a gardener, but I know that before a plant can bear fruit, it needs to be nourished. And, and you and I, we have to ask, okay, what, what, am, I, what am I nourishing myself with? that God's invitation to us is we would nourish ourselves with the truth of the gospel. That we would root ourselves in the soil of the gospel to be reminded of God's truth, to be reminded of all that Jesus has done for us so that the fruit we bear is joy. And when we do that, we can thank God for the work that he's doing in us and through us, even though we're not in process. Because listen, if we're gonna build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. We're not gonna say, I've arrived, but we're gonna say, by God's grace, I'm not who I once was. And by God's grace, I have joy in my life that comes from his spirit. Now, I mean, earlier, earlier in the service today, we sang that 
beautiful song, my, my hallelujah, and to have, have Becky and Steve here to, to share all that they have walked through, and God, just, just amazing and, and so powerful. And that song fits so perfectly with what we're talking about this weekend. That, that word hallelujah literally just means praise God. And I love those lyrics. What, what can take away my, my hallelujah? No darkness can contain my hallelujah. Your cross, Jesus, has made a way for my hallelujah. Why do we sing those words? It's not because they're clever. We sing them because they are true. We, we sing them because we need to be reminded of those truths because we need to know, because when we, when we have that truth deep in our hearts, there is what? There is joy. That even no matter what we are walking through, there can be a reason for hallelujah, a reason for praise, a reason for celebration, a reason for joy because of who God is and all that he has done. There is a deep and abiding joy so that we can say in every season, nothing can take away my hallelujah. And not only can there be joy in the present, joy that by God's grace meets us in those difficult moments and sustains us, but as believers, we can draw strength for this present moment. Don't, don't miss this, especially if you're walking through something really just rough right now, and I know a lot of us are. Not only can we have joy in this present moment, we can draw strength for this moment knowing that a greater joy is coming. One of my other favorite passages of scripture is the end of Hebrews 11 and the beginning of Hebrews 12. Where at the end of Hebrews 11, there's this incredible kind of listing out of, of these great heroes of our faith. Some of whom lived lives of incredible victory and others of whom suffered incredible hardship. And it's this sort of celebration of all of these people and their, their faithfulness. And then in, in verse 12, it says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. And here's, here's this next verse is the whole reason I'm bringing this passage up. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for what? The joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. How did Jesus endure the cross for the joy set before him? That joy belongs to you. There are heavenly resources of joy that can give you strength in this present moment. Jesus looked to our glorious future to draw strength for the moment. And the invitation is for you and I to do the same thing. Maybe the simple truth that God is present and at work. Maybe the simple truth that there is joy set before us, that a, that a day is coming when every tear will be wiped away. Maybe, maybe that can just be, I'm not saying it's gonna make the darkness go away, but maybe it can be that glimmer of hope that gives you the strength to keep moving forward. Joy is the oxygen to do hard things and joy sustains us in hard times. And the last is this, the, the third, joy and celebration show the glory of God to the world. If those first two points were kind of similar, this one's pretty different. Joy and celebration 
show the glory of God to the world. I mean, come on, e- even for the introverts in the room, there's something about a good celebration that's pretty captivating, isn't it? There's something about a good celebration where you at least kind of wonder like, oh, hey, I wonder, what, wonder what's going on there, right? And I'll tell you one thing that's a major bummer is that I think that we as Christians, we undersell the value of a good party. <laughs> and I realize we're in an odd time right now where having parties isn't really a thing, but in Jesus' name, we will be done with this soon and we'll get back to having parties, right? <laughs> so hear me out and keep this in your back pocket for when that time comes. In my opinion, Christians should throw the best parties. And they should throw the parties that are not weird, they're the parties that are the most fun. Of all people, we should be the most eager and enthusiastic about celebrating God's good gifts. And I think it's unfortunate the extent to which we've lost sight of this. And, and see, because we've lost sight of it, I don't know that our, the culture outside of the church really looks at Christians and goes, yes, partying, that is their deal, right? That that's something that exists apart from us. And too often, because that is true, parties become synonymous with abusing God's gifts instead of enjoying them, right? That God has given good food, and it can often go to gluttony. That God has given good drink, but that turns into drunkenness. God, God has given the gift of, of laughter, but come on, how often in our, in our world do attempts at humor devolve into things that are degrading or insulting or mean or profane or vulgar? right? But, but here's the thing. I really believe this is true. I, I think we live in a culture that longs to really experience God's good gifts as they were meant to experience, e- e- meant to be experienced, even if they don't have the vocabulary to say that, even if they don't have the language to express it. Because I think too often in our world, a party is a time of passivity and consumption, when in reality, it's meant to be a time of enjoyment and engagement, and I think there are people who have no, they're, they're not paying attention to what we're doing. They have no interest in coming here. But they'll come to a good party. They'll, they'll come to a place where, where there's laughter and enjoyment and stories are told and people are cared for and loved and welcomed in. And, and all week, I've been thinking about Jesus' words from, from Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a fam- famous passage, right? And Jesus says, to the crowd that was gathered, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in in heaven. Jesus says, you and I were meant to be lights that shine into a dark world. And we do that in a number of ways. We do that by serving others. We do that by taking care of the poor. We do that by our generosity. We do that by sharing the gospel. We do that in any number of ways. But I believe we can also do that by having good parties. I believe we can also do that by being welcoming people. Because listen, in a dark world, light is noticeable, it is distinctive, and it is attractive. And, and the way light works, light does not work by shouting into the darkness, hey darkness, you're dark, you should stop being dark. And I know it's weird, the idea of light talking, but just, just roll with me on this one, right? Light shines into the darkness. And if you're stuck in literal darkness, you are attracted to the light. Right? You want 
the light. And we live in a world where people, they are trapped in spiritual darkness and we have the light of Christ. And there are people in this world who do not know Jesus yet, who have no interest in coming here, who I really honestly believe part of their testimony is going to be that they came to a party in your backyard and that that's where it all started. And they enjoyed food and drink and company and there was a genuineness and just a joy and a fun and an excitement. It's light shining in to the darkness. And I just wonder, what if we were known as people who enjoyed those things, who, who laughed a lot, who welcomed people, and what if we were known as being better at, than anyone else in town at the spiritual discipline of having fun, of celebrating, of being together? right? Because listen, anger doesn't draw people in. Arguing doesn't draw people in. Fear doesn't draw people in. But you know what's almost universally attractive? Joy. (laughs) You know what's almost universally attractive? Celebration, laughter, fun. And God highly values these things. God highly values these things. And when we practice these things, and I know in, in the current world we're living in, we have to be careful and we have to be creative. But when we practice these things, the world takes notice. If we're going to build God's way, we need to celebrate along the way. Last thing and then we're done. Several years ago, my family got really into this band called Rend Collective. They are, you maybe heard of them, they're just this really fun kind of Christian Irish folk band and their music is amazing and their lyrics are fantastic and we were just all Ren Collective all the time. Alexa's playing Ren Collective. It's in the car. It's everywhere. My kids who were like real small at the time are like playing Ren, playing Ren Collective songs on Guitar Hero guitars, like the whole deal, right? So, so five years ago or so, they came through town. So my wife and I went to their concert and it was fantastic. We're just, we're having a great time. We're worshiping. We're celebrating. Everyone's smiling. There's hooting and hollering. Just the whole thing was just phenomenal. And I'll never forget, in between songs at one point, one of the members of the band says in this beautiful Irish accent, which I will now attempt to imitate in a manner that would make my Irish ancestors very upset at how poor it is. He says this. He says, you know, one of our core convictions as a band is that seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit, but joy is. I'm gonna say that again. Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. Can I get an amen? Amen. Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. Listen, anger is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. Fear is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. We, in Jesus' name, are invited to be a people of joy in a world that desperately needs it. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. God, we thank you that indeed seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit but joy is. So I pray that you would form us into joyful people. Would you help us to recognize that joy and celebration are not simply frivolous extras that we get to if we have time, but they are indeed the oxygen to do hard things, and we're all called to different hard things. The joy and celebration sustain us in hard times, and the joy and celebration show your goodness to the world. God, we want to be individuals. We want to be a church that builds your way. And to do that, we know we need to celebrate along the way. So God, teach us 
the spiritual discipline of joy and celebration. And may you get all the glory and may it indeed be so that there are people in this community that the first step of them coming to know you was that they came to a party in our backyard and saw something and that something was just the power of your spirit. So we love you, Jesus. What a joy it is to worship you and to celebrate you. We pray these things in your awesome name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.